You're listening to The Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps, retired standing guard on the Wall of Freedom. Great Patriots of America, got a special guest on The Patriot Cause today. First I've heard of him was about a month ago when I got contacted. And this man is amazing. It's what I like about what is going on, especially as patriots trying to figure out what's happening in our country, is we're all running into each other finally. We're we're finding this big band of people that are Americans that believe in our country and believe what we do. And Ken Heckin Lively is the guest today. And he is an amazing, amazing individual. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ken. Thanks for having me. Okay, so I'm going to read his bio because, again, I'm not very good at remembering anything about anybody, much less myself. So I don't want to mess it up. So that's why I'm actually going to read. Ken knows the issues. read, read, Read the propaganda. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely, Ken. Ken knows the issues better than most. As an investigative reporter, he is relentless in finding the facts, no matter what the cost. He has been interviewed by many national pundits and news sources that are interested in what he has to say. He's all over the radio, media. The the man is is doing a great job. Ken, he's a New York bestseller, author, He published 12 books, four of which have been national bestsellers with two additional books that are about to be released. With more than a quarter of a million books sold, he has 10,000 positive Amazon customer reviews. So that tells you right there that the people like Ken. That's what I like about having him on on the show. He is quickly a strong reputation. And again, the, the Amazon is doing that. So here's the best part about Ken that I absolutely love. Ken delights in having serious conversations, and we all should. It's, it should be part of our nature as patriots to, to talk and have conversations, even with the farthest left, about issues of the day and enjoys debating the very best, including Harvard constitutional law professor, Alan Dershowitz. Ken has an easygoing manner with a gentle approach. He can often simplify the issues, which is important for a lot of Americans at hand so that anyone can understand even the most complex ideas that are being discussed. Welcome, Ken. Glad to have you. Thanks so much for having me here. So you have written 14 books. Uh, and tw- 12 with two two more in the pipeline yep right absolutely that is coming up i i'm still struggling trying to get one out <laughs> so it's just <laughs> well, it's the nature my, of the beast some people have it and some people don't so my my sister-in-law jokes that i write books faster than she reads them <laughs> <laughs> well that's good it's good to have that kind of talent and specifically we're going to talk about Two of his books, uh, I'm assuming, are these the ones that are, are getting ready to go out or are they already yeah. out? They are already out and they are underappreciated. So I would love it if your audience would appreciate them by purchasing them and putting reviews on Amazon. Currently, both uh, books have uh, uh, totally have about 100 Amazon reviews and it's an averaging about 4.9, 4.8. So, so they're underappreciated and uh, they're... It, People need to read them because uh, I think it'll make it'll um, you know give you some sense of what's really going on behind the scenes of the news today. Absolutely, and I'm a huge fan of Mark Levin. He's part of the Convention of States. I've met him multiple times. It's just amazing uh, the brains of the people that can understand what's actually happening. But what's more important to be able to give the audience explain to our audience, what's going on. And that's what uh, we're going to talk about today. So the first book that I want Ken to to help us out with, he's a co-author with senior pandemic advisor, Dr. Paul Alexander, which is important that we understand that, you know, Ken's not a doctor, so he's not just writing this information coming out of his head. He has resources along with him 
to make sure it's right. And it's called the President Presidential Takedown. The book is about how Dr. Fauci, there you go, Ken, the CDC, NIH, and the WHO conspired to overthrow the President of the United States. That is a mouthful. Most of us, you know, we hear about the WHO or NIH and we read books and people talk about, especially like Dr. Fauci, there's a number of books written on him. But this one, I'm buying it today. I guarantee you when we're done with this podcast, I'm going up there and getting it because it kind of packages it all together. And I, I'm excited about it. I can't wait to uh, to read it. But can you kind of give us a synopsis? One, what gives you the idea? Because that's what's important to a lot of Americans. Why did you even write this book in the first place? Well, a number of things came together. So I'm most well-known for my work with Dr. Judy Mikevitz, who is featured in the 26-minute interview that they called the movie Plandemic. Okay, so I helped her write her books, Plague, Plague of Corruption, Ending Plague, uh, The Case Against Masks. So I've done four books with the brilliant Dr. Judy Mikevitz. And so that's kind of given me a certain reputation because uh, when Dr. Judy speaks, it's obvious that she's brilliant, but she can leave people a little bit behind because her mind works so fast. Well, I'm the middle school science teacher by training, so I'm all about clarity. And so the fact that I'd written those four books with her, they'd been so well received. Uh, Plague of Corruption was the runaway science bestseller of 2020. I think it sold about uh, 180, 200,000 copies right now. Um, and, and Plandemic was a worldwide phenomenon. So I've gotten this reputation that I'm the go-to guy when we have these highly credentialed, brilliant experts, and they're brilliant in their field, but they've never written a book before. So my editor, Tony Lyons at Skyhorse Press, you know, gives me a call and says, hey, Ken, I got a book for you. I'm like, okay, Tony, what is it now? Because that's, I, I often receive assignments from my publisher. My, my, my uh, good friend tells me I'm the luckiest writer in the world because the publishers call me when they have exciting stories because they know I get it out within a reasonable period of time. Usually it takes me three to four months uh, to write a book from beginning to me giving it over to the publisher. So he said, oh, there's this guy, Dr. Paul Alexander. He was a senior pandemic advisor uh, from about May of 2020 to September. And he ran afoul of uh, Anthony Fauci, who basically created a little bit of a scandal and, and got him kicked out of the task force. And I was just like, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, be, behind the scenes of the COVID task force and Absolutely. Anthony Fauci. I gotta do that. I gotta that's know golden. that story. Yeah, that's yeah. golden and right so, there. <laughs> it was really interesting because Dr. Paul Alexander is one of the greatest characters, I think, in in world literature. Is is my claim. So he grew up in Trinidad. He's not an American citizen, American by birth, but he was an American by love you know he he was one of these guys who you know grows up in the islands and you know watches top gun and wants to become an american more than anything else at 18 years old he you know he writes a letter to the secretary of the air force going can i join and become a pilot at top gun you know that's the kind of love that that paul alexander had for our country that you know like a lot of people who are outside of our country have for our country you know we Americans often don't appreciate, you know, what a beacon we are to the rest of the world. And so, you know, years go by, Paul um, emigrates to Canada, uh, gets his degree there, um, becomes one of the world's leading experts in evidence-based medicine, gets his, his uh, degree from Oxford, you know. And, you know, one of the things that I didn't know was that McGill University in Canada is really kind of the absolute top, top school in probably the entire world for evidence-based medicine, which was really invented about the 1980s, 1990s is when it really came together. So 
here he was working as a the senior pandemic advisor for the World Health Organization um, as COVID strikes. And, and, you know, the great story that he tells is, you know, he, he's got some contacts with conservatives because he tends to be conservative. Um, and, you know, he tells me, you know, in, in April, you know, March and April, he's, you know, writing his stuff for the WHO because he's a pandemic advisor for the World Health Organization. And the World Health Organization, probably about a year year two before this, they'd actually commissioned a big study saying, hey, if we have a worldwide pandemic, what are the, the things we should do? Well, they looked at nine things, including like lockdowns and closing schools, and all they came up with so this is the World Health Organization looking at this material, saying like, okay, let's look at all the previous pandemics in the world. The only two things that they said that governments should do is that they should protect the vulnerable and more hand washing. That's yeah. it. And not absolutely. Universal. Not universal. So, so this is not some, you know, weird chiropractor energy healers saying this is how we deal with a pan with a virus this is the world health organization so you know the story he he tells is uh you know he's he's uh sitting and and by this time he's living both in canada and the united states because he's also working for the infectious disease society of america and you know the story he tells is he's like on the couch you know watching the early COVID 19 task force going on yelling at the tv about how stupid they are and he gets a call and it's somebody from the white house and, and they say well we, you know we we've been reading your stuff for, for the world health organization we know that you know you don't like what's going on and we feel that you're somebody who could be trusted and we would like to bring you down and uh, have you become a senior pandemic advisor and and you know here Paul Alexander is listening to all of this, thinking it's almost a joke. You know, really? Is this one of my friends calling? And, and, and um, you know, he says, does the president not trust his task force? Mm. And the response that he got was, well, he just wants somebody else out independent to take a look. So to me, that's sort of like a, admission by omission <laughs> for lack of a better way of saying it so then he comes down and and this this remarkable journey begins and and as it was kind of interesting because you know whenever i work with these really smart people you know i'm calling them up on the phone when i'm recording their interviews and and you know we're getting to know each other and you know i generally become friends with my subjects and so uh it was probably like the third or fourth interview I was having with him where he said, I have something really important to tell you, but I don't know if I should. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Well, what the hell? You know, you've been through the ringer, you know, the Washington post dragged your reputation through the mud. You know, you know, you've been very vocal about all this stuff about lockdowns and vaccines and everything. He goes, okay, the first day at work, my boss came to me and said, at five o'clock, I want you to go to this restaurant and wait for people. Some people will come and see you. It's like, who? We're not going to tell you. And so, so, okay, you know, how's this for Cloak and Dagger? You know, he's already gone to Washington in the midst of the pandemic, and it's like the apocalypse because nobody's out. You know, it's scary enough. And so, you know, now it's like, oh, this clandestine meeting. So goes to this restaurant that faces out to the National Mall, and uh, a number of people approach him. Um, uh, three people approach him. They take down their masks. One is a Republican United States senator. The other is a Democratic United States senator. And the third is a Democratic congressperson. And they say, the reason you're here, Paul, is not just 
to look at the COVID-19 task force. We need you to do a deep dive into what the CDC has done over the past several years because we believe this bipartisan group believes that this has become a political entity. Yes. And this bipartisan group, and this, these were the exact words that he used, yeah. wants to take the CDC down to the studs and rebuild it as a genuine agency dedicated to public health. And so, wow. uh, it, yeah, <laughs> so it's sort of <laughs> like, you know, it, it, we all get into our, our partisan bubbles and everything. But, right, but, you know, it, it was it was just so refreshing to me to see that, like, OK, these are things that Republicans are saying. But this is what the good Democrats yeah, used to be saying. Absolutely. Yep. And, and and so, you know, we need a revitalization of that classic liberal Democratic tradition that, you know, was skeptical of the power of big corporations, skeptical of the military intelligence complex. and so. Um, you know, from there, it's it's just a ride with, um, you know, he provided me emails uh, that he had going back and forth with Fauci, giving all the information about why schools shouldn't have closed down. Now, you know, in March of 2020, OK, I can kind of understand it. Nobody really knows what's going on. But, you know, that what really what got him fired was that in the summer of 2020, he was saying schools should reopen in September. There is no reason. What happens if schools reopen in September? Parents are happy. Yeah. What do happy parents do? They vote for the incumbent. And so right. there is no reason, no scientific reason that schools Absolutely. should not have been open in September of 2020. And, and so that just, uh, you know, what happened, what happened so often in, in, in Washington, D.C., is that they steal one of his emails, right? And it gets leaked to the press. Nobody ever gets prosecuted for that. They take four words out of this lengthy, you know, scientific treatise on why kids should be back in school. Those four words were, we want them infected. You want them infected because they don't get sick. And then you have natural immunity spreading throughout you know, the population. So um, there's so much more to the story. I, I, I'll, I'll wait to ask questions because I can, I can talk forever. But uh, th that's kind of the setup. Yeah, so listen to what you're saying is, one, I know this might sound funny, but I had a feeling when all of this was going on that the true medical world, as I want to call it, had done their research on what was going on and understood it. However, like you're saying, the, the political forces, whether you can call them whatever names, you can call them deep state, you can call them communists. There's lots of different words that you put on. But what the issue is, is the bureaucracy of the government has gotten so much power that they're capable of doing these type of things. Even yeah. though the advisement of the, the knowledge of the people that have that, tell them. But as, if, it's, if it's against what their agenda is or what their knowledge of what they want to do, and along with the, quote, Trump syndrome, as we know, this is what we end up with. Now, I use that as an example. So, for instance, take Switzerland. Switzerland did what I think was the right way to do it. They used the people in their government that were experienced in all of these different pandemics and stuff and what was going on. And they were cautious, but at the same time, they wanted to make sure that we wasn't stomping on top of the people. The government we have today, they, they don't care. They just want the power to be controlled in th that Washington, D.C. area. 
And that's not what America is. That's why so many Americans are absolutely distraught over this COVID thing that's going on. And, you know, like I said, I can't wait to read your book because never heard it from, from that point ever. Yeah. Nobody's ever said this, said that, right. Well, and here's the, this is what, why I was just beside myself with excitement to do this book because I've been a critic from the outside of the bureaucratic deep state, whatever you want to call it. But this is inside. And right. I I trust what an insider will tell me more than what a whole bunch of outsiders think about like what's going on. And and probably one of the most terrifying things that Paul told me, and, and this is, you know, for anybody who sat in a you know corporate lunchroom, you know how people talk, right? In a lunchroom. So um to set the stage, so Paul grew up in Trinidad. His ethnicity is North African and Middle Eastern. So he's kind of a dark-skinned man, tall, good-looking, all that sort of stuff. You know, but Middle Eastern looking. He speaks with a Caribbean accent, so he seems completely out of place, right? You know, his accent doesn't really match his ethnicity, and he's a conservative. Okay? <laughs> so, so you know, <laughs> nobody can figure out where to place them, right? So one of the things he gets as being the senior pandemic advisor is he has access to the executive lunchroom at Health and Human Services. And, you know, during COVID, that's like the center of the universe, right? Because everybody is meeting there. And so here he is having lunch with all these top officials and, you know, they look at him, they hear his accent. They, they're they not buying that he's a conservative. You know, he's like a stupid <laughs> foreigner. He's a stupid foreigner who doesn't yeah. understand how bad Trump is, right? And so, you know, they, they'd be like, hey, buddy, Trump. No, Trump isn't the guy. Trump yeah. isn't the guy. You know, and, and they said, let me tell you, here is, you are a foreigner. You don't understand, you know. You, you don't understand, brother. You know, here's what we do. And he had bureau department heads telling this constantly. Our job every day is to make Trump look bad on the evening news. Absolutely. And, you know, he's just horrified by this. He's like, this is the worst public health crisis in a century. And you. You guys are playing politics. You're supposed to be the government, you know, the grown-ups in the room, you know, let the political <laughs> people fight the politics out there. We come here, we work for the government. We're for all the people. And, Absolutely. And and he, he he it just like drove him crazy because it, you know, it's like you know, you get assaulted with it time and time again, you know, it just becomes part of the scenery, but to me, the most horrifying thing, it, you know, and now look, hey, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the executive lunchroom at Health and Human Services, but my co-author was. So sure. maybe he's a maybe he's a big liar, but I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. All right. right. And so, you know, here I am getting this information. And I'm just like, I'm so terrified. <laughs> you know, I thought. I thought it was bad, you know, and, you know, there were other kind of situations because like a lot of conservatives, I've had a lot of trouble with what Trump actually did during the COVID crisis. You know, I appreciate that he was skeptical and everything, but, you know, he had the lockdowns, he had, you know, operation warp speed and everything. And, you know, so I'd, I'd say to Paul, you know, what, what gives here, you know, t tell me, tell me what it was like on the inside there. You know, because I've heard all these things that, you know, Trump, you know, Trump must have been threatened by the deep state. He, they must have threatened his children. They they threatened to, you know, pull another Kennedy and have him killed. And, you know, I, I said, you know, these are just the things we hear. A and Paul said, yeah, that's what we talked about inside, too. And well, I, like, I spent um, I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps. Right. As okay. you can probably yeah. tell. Right. But yeah. here's 
here's the other part of the story, which led me kind of to where I'm at today as part of it. I started the podcast in 2020 because I was so concerned, really concerned about our country. But here's, here it is. When I retired from the Marine Corps, I joined or went back into government as a government contractor. But then eventually yeah. I became a government civilian. I was a GS-14. I was the oh, CIO. Man. I was a CIO for the hospital, the VA hospital in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I lasted yeah. 14 months and I left. <laughs> I walked out of the government. I, I No pension, nothing. I don't want nothing. That's how bad. This is 2014. Wow. This is how bad it turned into. Because, you know, I've been in the government, in the military, and the government since I was 18 mm-hmm. years old. So through the, you know, the Clinton days and the Bush days and, and so forth, right? Reagan was mm-hmm. my president when I joined. That yeah. kind of stuff, right? Well, the point I'm making here is, is this, is if you don't or haven't been in the inside of the government, you'll never know how it operates because the media can just tell you whatever they want to say about the government. And it's always going to be some political narrative Mm -hmm. always. So Ken, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about your second book. Uh, This was CNN and we'll go from there because Again, going in the inside and investigating reporting, this is going to be awesome. So don't go away, Patriots. We'll be right back with Ken Heckin Lively on the Patriot Cause. They tell us that ignorance is bliss. I guess for those that control the media, it is. They own the media, they control stories we are told if you ever try to go against them you will be ignored because they control they control they control the narrative they perpetuate the myth keep on telling you lies tell you ignorance is bliss believe it all Never get, never get wise to the truth, cause they control everything you do, everything you do, everything you do, everything you do.
Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny, and you're on the Patriot Cause. Special guest today, Ken Heckin Lively, investigative reporter, been in the inside, seen the inside, heard the inside, and now is telling us the inside. So you don't have to guess. Just get his books, read it, and then you're going to see and understand what has happened in our government, specifically dealing with all functions of our lives. So his next book that we're going to talk about, the title is This Was CNN, How Sex Lies and Spies Undid the World's Worst News Network. Love it. I love <laughs> that title. Can't wait. He was uh, part of the book with a co-author, Gary Porch. Porch? Gary Porch. Uh, Gary Porch. So uh, tell us about him. Tell us about the book as much as possible. And why <laughs> why is cnn falling well some of us have an idea but i think you got a better idea <laughs> well yeah you know so a bit about my co-author on that book so uh his name is carrie porch and your audience may remember him as the cnn whistleblower from project veritas ah. back back when project veritas had James now Bush. i got it now i got okay it. yeah and so uh, Kerry's story is great because he was a Bernie Sanders guy when he started working for CNN. Uh, but he's also a Southern guy. So, you know, he, he's got that, that Southern charm and that Southern hospitality. And even if he disagrees with somebody, he wants to be fair to him. In fact, you know, the, the, little, the little tick that I detected in, in his talking is, is if uh, you have a political conversation with them, at some point in the conversation, he'll go, oh, fair enough, fair enough. I'm like, okay, that, that's exactly the Southern hospitality and charm sort of thing. It's like, you know, hey, you're my friend, you know, you're come, let's, let's visit, let's talk, let's be social. So he starts working at CNN as a Bernie Sanders guy in about uh, May or June of 2017 after Trump has been elected. And he's hired basically as an independent contractor to run the satellite truck. Okay, so that means he's got to make sure the satellite truck is ready to go. He drives it to the location, hooks up all the technology, the anchors and the news reporters do their, their stories. And then he packs it all up and gets it back to CNN headquarters in Washington, DC. And so the first big story that he has to do is the Charlottesville riots. Okay. Mm, so, yeah. so he, he's amped up, you know, he's driving the truck as fast as he can from, from Washington, DC down to Atlanta and everything and setting up and, oh, this is terrible. And then, you know, as the violence starts to begin, he listens in real time to what Trump says. And he's like, okay, you know, I'm not a Trump guy, but he said what every American president should say in a time of crisis, you know, so Okay, good. Yay, 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 America. Not yay, Trump. Yay, America. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so then he starts to see the narrative change and this whole, you know, you know, they're good people on both sides, you know, and, and real fine people among those Nazis. Um, and he's like, this is crazy. This is nuts. This is not true. And, you know, say whatever you want about the Bernie bros. Um, the Bernie bros are as concerned about the direction of our country as the Trump supporters. Absolutely. You know, they just have a, they have a different, different way, way. of yep. fi fixing it, but we agree on the problem. And so he starts to undergo this metamorphosis. And it's kind of funny because, you know, he describes this period where he starts listening to, you know, the bad people like Steven Crowder and oh, you know, no. uh, Thomas <laughs> Sowell and, and, oh yeah, you know, and, and he's doing it while he's at CNN because, like, as the satellite truck guy, you know, it's like a fireman. There's a lot of downtime, so you know he's got the tabs, you know, so that you know, okay, nobody knows I'm listening to Steven Crowder, um, <laughs> and uh, and so things just kind of get go from bad to worse. He sees all this stuff going on, and um, they actually send him to CPAC in 2018, I, I think, maybe 2019. Um, and 
he hears James O'Keefe talk. Yes. And 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 the Facebook whistle Facebook whistleblower had come out. And so uh, you know, and James O'Keefe ends his talk with the idea that, you know, hey, I know there are other whistleblowers out there who are seeing bad things in their organizations. Um, you know, feel free to 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 you know come to us, we'll protect you. And so he gets in in line at the you know bookstore and he hands the book to to James O'Keefe and he says, I work for a three-letter agency and I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> and and, and O'Keefe thinks that like it's you know FBI, CIA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, oh, who do you work for? And he goes, CNN. Goes, Ooh, okay. Ooh. You know, so James write, writes his contact information. Carrie leaves. He's he's going out, you know, of the uh, you know the auditorium, and of course James has sent one of his lieutenants hunt that guy down, get get his information. So, you know, they talk that night, <laughs> very clandestine. You know, they meet in James's hotel room, and um, and you know James O'Keefe is very what I've learned because I've done this is my third book I've, with that project. Yeah, very I've, I've so met far. him. He's He's a huge convention of states. He comes to our summits and everything. James O'Keefe is a, an amazing patriot, amazing guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that first meeting, he's like, I'm not going to, you know, pressure you in any way. This has to be a decision you come to. You, it can't be, you know, a, a split second decision, but let's keep talking. And so he eventually decides to wear a wire, records a whole bunch of, you know, negative Trump bashing stuff inside CNN. And, and a lot of people who had been at CNN for a long time, who were upset about the direction that CNN had gone. Because, and, and you know, I say the book really opens up as something of a love letter to Ted Turner, who, you know, was a big liberal, <laughs> but he had this idea that whenever there was a controversial issue, you had, you know, the smartest person on the left debate the smartest person Smart on the person right. On the right. Yep. Yeah, they, they, they go for 20, 30 minutes and then let the audience make up their mind. And now, you know, unfortunately, you know, CNN will put up, you know, the smartest liberal they could find, which is not much, and the dumbest, dumbest. person on the right. That they could <laughs> exactly. And, 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 you know, Fox kind of does this. Well, it kind of equals thing. out, right? It kind of equals yeah, out, well, right? <laughs> well, you know, Fox will find a really smart conservative um, and then they'll find, oh, what's... What's the stupidest thing a liberal did in America today? And you know that's the news, not quite. And so, um, so, uh, but the thing that I did differently with this book was I hired this group of outside researchers to do a deep dive into CNN because I was thinking like, well, Kerry's story has sort of been done. People know about the anti-Trump stuff, and my researchers who are among some of the best in the world came back to me and they said, Ken, we found something that's really interesting about CNN. And I was like, oh, what? And I go, well, it seems like a lot of these journalists and production people have intelligence backgrounds. And I'm yes. Like, I, I read about that. I read about that. Yeah. I, I, and so you know, for, for your audience, you may, may remember that one of the things that revealed by the Church Commission in 1966-77 was something called Operation Mockingbird, where, where the CIA would recruit people from the uh, media to put stories in the newspaper. Well, what we uncovered was something a little bit different, but if you think about how organizations work, it makes a whole bunch of sense. And it's basically this, People in journalism will leave journalism for a year or two to go work for the government mm -hmm. in an intelligence capacity and then go back to go journalism. Back. Absolutely. So, 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 you know, you can say, well, oh, they just had a midlife crisis. They suddenly decided they want to do this. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, okay, you know, sure. Piss on me and tell me it's raining. Um, and, and you know, it's really kind of dramatic. So I, I highly, so we found 21 individuals in either broadcast or production who fit this profile. So it, it probably 
one of the most amazing ones was Jim Secudo. So if you watch CNN, if you're one of the few who, who continue to watch CNN or you remember CNN, um, Jim Secudo was their national security correspondent. Well, from, uh, let's see, from December, so imagine that. Imagine you're a reporter, okay? That's your job. You, you've gone to school in journalism. You've gone to the Ivy League. And, you know, you've worked your way up from TV news all the way to CNN. And then for a period from December 2011 to May 2013, he's chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing, China. China. Yep. I remember that. <laughs> for, for God's sakes, are you, telling, are you telling me that that guy didn't know our deepest, darkest secrets? And now you're telling me he's back on the news as an independent journalist? Give me a break. The only way you can see Jim Secudo is as an extension of the intelligence communities of the United States. Absolutely. And so, you know, so people don't think about, you know, Department of State, you know, they're spooks, okay? That's what they are. They're the polite spooks. They're the ones who get expelled, not put in jail. Uh, you know, we have another one, Bob Ortega is a perfect example. He, um, uh, he was the, he covers the border issue. And let's see, from January, 2009 to July 2010, he was vice consul of our consulate in Ecuador. Okay, so you don't think he got a whole bunch of secret information about what's really going on in Central America and the border, and you're telling me he goes back to CNN and he's an independent journalist. Give me a break. Now, I love me the intelligence communities. I love me the media. They don't go together, okay? It's well, you go back, easy. simple, simple expl explanation. You go back about 40 or 50 years ago, right? Yeah. The mil military people retired, specifically generals and colonels and so forth or whatever. They were never on the news after they retired. They were right. always on the news. Only time they were on the news was when, when they were in front of Congress, that kind of thing. Yeah. But now all of them, all the media, yeah, so they they got, go after got, these retired generals and pay them tons of money to come on their show. Now, if you notice, the ones that they, that the big ones that they have are left leaning military yeah. people. You don't yeah, see yeah, any yeah. any right thinking conservative generals on the media it, ever. It, it, yeah, and, you know, it just kind of terrifies me because I remember a day when a journalist wouldn't go have dinner with a political figure exactly. because they figured that it would compromise their objectivity. And my yeah. God, how is it that Bob Ortega and uh, Jim Sucuto are getting paychecks from the intelligence services of our United States government and then and telling us they're, the they're independent and objective people and it's they're, impossible they're telling, yeah, yeah it, <laughs> there, there's impossible. a natural there's a natural tension between the media and the intelligence services and what our government does i understand that i respect that but when you start mixing them that doesn't work for me you know no. if, if if the news think about it the other way if the news media was sending people in to the intelligence agencies so they could report the news to us. That would be a violation, right? So yes. why is it? And, and one of the things that I go into in the book, and, and this is something a lot of Americans don't understand, is it's actually legal now for our government to lie to us, okay? <laughs> it, is, it is allowable under the law. So I'm not saying any, any laws have been broken, but that's because the criminals wrote the laws. Okay. Right. So there's, there's something called the Global Engagement Center. 
Okay, what a wonderful sounding name, global engagement. You know, it's like Disney, it's a small world. Oh yes, we're all so happy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're globally engaged. Yeah, so they're all going to be in this little boat riding down through this entertainment thing all together. How could, how could you not like the Global Engagement Center? Exactly. It's like, the, it's like the food court at your local mall where you can get Chinese, Indian, Mexican food, Italian. Absolutely. How, how could you not love it? So the, the interesting thing about the Global Engagement Center is that it starts out in the initial iteration that it is to counter the bad messages coming from the Islamic State and Russia and China. And you go, oh, oh okay, well, well okay, I, I kind of get that. You know, you know I, I don't like those beheading videos any more than anybody else does. Okay, got it. <laughs> and then, you know, about two years later, they put a little amendment in it. Misinformation from non-state actors. What? Non so, so you read it and you go, well, wait a minute. This is nothing. This is, we get to lie to you. It's kind of like, you yep. know, one of the things that, that, that kind of got me, you know, my background is an attorney. So like, I read the rules. I know how, how to read things. Um, so one of the things that they did was there's a law that the CIA and the intelligence agencies may not unknowingly work. It work with an unknowing media source. And you go, oh, okay, great. Makes sense. Oh, there's an exception. The exception is if the president decides that it's in the national interest to fool this reporter, then you can do it. And you, but you know you got a whole bunch of reporting requirements. You got to tell a bunch of people in Congress, and then you get to the next exception, which is, oh, if you tell the media person, "Hey, I'm with the CIA, and I'd like some help from you," and they say, "Okay, you can do it," <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, your reporter, CIA agent tells you, "Hey, this will be really good. I can get." It. Hey, look, I just, buddy. I need a little bit of help with you on this. I'll give you so much more. You know, and they just lie their asses off. And, you know, wittingly or unwittingly, they find themselves working for one of our, one of our 17 intelligence agencies. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you probably don't know, we have 17 different intelligence agencies, maybe 18 with Space Force, but that's still to be determined. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. I can't wait to uh, to read these books. I know the I audience... Lost my AirPods. <laughs> oh. There you are. Okay. I'm back and forth. Yeah, track. this it's I can't wait to read the books. It's gonna be amazing. The the neat part is the podcast that I do. This is why I think you're just perfect timing. You're you're fitting right in to where we're going and, and what we're thinking. And the see the issue is this is is it an outside force? Is the majority of what's going on? by you know the wef etc right is is this an outside force that we're dealing with or is it more that it's been homegrown for all of these years and it's actually you know the the base of the changes that's happening in america is through that homegrown avenue now, I do know that there is some outside forces, you know, and like you can use George Soros, et cetera, right, that that are kind of financing this and the bankers and the corporations working with each other. But I still believe that it, the core of our government is where the issue is. It, we need to work on that core 
and not necessarily concentrate as much on you know what this global impact is. That's that's my opinion. What do you think about that? You know, I, I think there's a lot to what you say. I, I think that it's easy to understand how the more educated you get, the more arrogant it is to become. And I can read throughout history of people who look at how the world works and they think they understand it and they get into power and they do a terrible job. It's, it is, it's intellectually devastating to really smart people when they understand the world works without them. And, wow. and I, yeah. I, 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 way I, put think it. That, I, I think that it's there, there is this genuine fear among really smart, well-educated people because they've been educated at left-wing institutions and they think, oh my God, if I trust the people, it's going to be absolute chaos. And, you know, I come from more of a conservative, but also libertarian perspective, which is, you know, I believe, I, and I th think here is the difference. I think your, your average conservative or libertarian says individuals making their own decisions yes. are going to create a peaceful and prosperous society. Because, you know, do I, do I want to go punch my neighbor? No, I don't, no. you know, but, but you, when well, what you, if the government tells you to go punch your neighbor, but, but, but liberals <laughs> believe liberals believe that us as human beings are evil and bad and have bad intentions. And right. we need that government structure to control the evilness of us. So conservatives believe, Hey, if I give a lot of freedom, a lot of goodness is going to come from it. Right. You know, a, a lot of ch charity, a lot of love, a lot of, you know, for me, I, I don't know about you, but yeah, I love, absolutely. I dig, I dig people who are different than me. Absolutely. Because I want to learn. And learn, okay? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so I think, you know, even, but lots of these organizations like the World Economic Forum, you read their stuff and you go, you just don't like human beings. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's like I, I read this, the work of Yuval Noah Harari, who's sort of their, their intellectual rock star. And, you know, he'll say things like, you know, for most of human history, empires have been the dominant form of government, not republics. So why do we fear empires so much? And I'm just like, <laughs> do you have no idea he he's never been a slave he's never Dude. been in that environment so he has no freaking clue what he's talking about yeah empires do whatever the hell they want to their people absolutely you know, you're a gay man you've all know a harari do you know what empires throughout history have done to people like you would, yes absolutely i'm sorry they throw you off of buildings for fun right but see he's he's up there now you know he's up there mixed in with all of these people so whichever direction it happens he feels un un you know affected by anything that comes out of his mouth he don't think he's he's the one that's going to be affected it's just the rest of the world so, so so i i i think in terms of talking to the other side right we need to be able to articulate this idea that Look, as conservatives, we believe that human beings are good and, mm -hmm. and left to their own devices, they will make positive choices more often than they'll make negative choices, um, especially if we're constrained by the ideas that, you know, we have an eternal soul and our time on earth is Absolutely. just a snapshot. Yep. It's just, I, I'm, I am doing things on earth that are not good for me financially. For sure. For example, I... Somebody somebody accused me the other day of being a grifter because I I put up my presidential takedown uh, book <laughs> in somebody's tweet and I, I said you know after paying everybody that I've done for all this sort of stuff I calculated the other day I'm still about forty thousand dollars in the hole so this has really not been a good grift for me exactly a lot of people don't understand how difficult it is to do what you're doing so. 
Ken, we're running out of time. I want to give you the last minute talk here. Uh, I know you're on radio. I looked to see if you had a podcast or a website. I didn't find any of that. How can people, other than just going to get your book, you know, uh, get more info on you? So you can follow me on Twitter, Kent Heckenlively. Uh, I don't have a pseudonym or, or anonymous name or funny name. Okay. Besides Heck and Lively, that's funny enough. Um, and then uh, <laughs> KentHeckandLivelyBooks.com. You can see all the stuff I've done. Uh, get have, have some laughs over some trouble I've gotten into over the years. Right. So are you okay with me uh, posting you on Gitter and those kind of 100%, platforms? 100%. Okay. Massive exposure. Massive exposure. Yeah, I, I only have two. I, I do Gitter and I do... Uh, uh, Twizzler, as I call it, obviously. I'm not on Facebook. I, I I got off of LinkedIn years ago, Facebook years ago. I just, you know, I'm concentrating and rightfully so trying to reach the, the people that are in the right environment to, to get this information. And I love what you're saying specifically uh, about how we, which is true, conservatives, we love everybody. And a lot of people don't understand that. They they think that we're the we're the bullies. No, yeah. what what we recognize is the evil that's in other people. We can see it. We can actually see what, you know, what's going on. And that's how you change it. You change the internal ideology of a person to become good. Unlike yeah. the other side, they want us to go away. They don't like us. They think we hate them. And th their world would just be better if we didn't exist. Yep. It's a whole different ideology. So we, we thank you again for coming on. We got to just keep telling the liberals we love them. You're, you're wrong, but we love you. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, look forward to reading your books. Specifically, I will follow you on uh, Twizzler, as I call it, and okay. share share the love. Okay. Put those Amazon reviews up. I need them for those books. Absolutely. Absolutely. Make sure if you buy the book, read it. Go put in a review. It's very important for authors. Thank you very much, Ken. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. All right. You too. I wish the buck was still silver And it was back when the country was strong Back before Elvis, before the Vietnam War came along Before the Beatles and yesterday When a man could still work and still would The best of the free life behind us now The good time's really over for good I wish Coke was still cola And a joint was a bad place to be It was back before Nixon lied to us all on TV Before microwave ovens When a girl could still cook And still would It's the best of the free life Behind us now The good time's really over For good With no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty bell I wish a Ford and a Chevy would still last ten years like they should The best of the free life behind us now 
the good times really over for good. Let's make a Ford and a Chevy that would still last ten years like the should. Cause the best of the free life is still yet to come. The good times ain't over for good.